Well, praise the Lord, everyone. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. You know what we're going to do this morning? Let me tell you what we're going to do this morning. We are going to make the devil really mad. Might be a silly way to say it, but here's what I mean by that. I think the world, the rulers of this world, both spiritual and in the natural, the principalities, the powers, the things of this world would love to have us stay in anxiety, to stay in fear, to stay in unforgiveness, to stay in depression, to stay in hopelessness. I think about the world, the pandemic. I think about the warring uh, of literally the Ukraine and Russia. I think about the political things going on in the U.S. And there's just so much fear, hopelessness, unforgiveness, and people need to know these words of Jesus. So what I'm going to do today is speak a message right from the text of Scripture. We're going to do a whole bunch of reading of the Bible. These are Jesus' words. He tells us a story when Jesus wants us to know how good and awesome and loving and forgiving the Father is, he tells this story that I'm about to read. The title of this sermon is, God is a Forgiving Father. God is a Forgiving Father. Don't miss that. Listen to this sermon and be listening for God is a Forgiving Father. We're going to read today and go through uh, I'm going to say it. It's, it's the best story in the whole Bible. And I realize the Bible is a big book. And I realize I'm a little biased because uh, I'll tell you why I think the story is the best one ever in the whole Bible. But it's got to be up there. Everyone in here, you'd probably agree that this story that we're going to read today, it shows us how forgiving the loving father is. And it's got to be. It's just the best story. We're going to read the story of the lost son. Do you know this story? Would you stand with me out of respect for the scripture? Would you open your heart this morning? I'm going to read 13 verses. I'm going to read this whole story. These are the words of Jesus. So be listening for this. The words of Jesus as he wants us to know what God the Father is like. Jesus tells a story. The best story ever. Luke 15, starting in verse 11, Jesus continues. He has just told a bunch of parables. He tells one more now. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So, so the father did it. So the, he divided his property among them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Verse 14 says, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods, yuck, that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Verse 17 Thank God. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, what's it say? Starving to death. I will set out. I will go back to my father and I will say to him, he has the speech, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. We just sang a song about that, that we're no longer slaves. We are children of God. Verse 20, so he got up with his plan and went back to his father, just, just wondering, just hoping to be one of his father's servants, a father's slave. But while he was a long way off, 
that listen to this. Jesus wants us to know that this is what the father is like. While this young man, while this younger son was still a long way off, his father saw him, filled with compassion for him, ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, he's got this speech, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father, he won't even hear it. Verse 22, but the father said to his servants, quick, get the best robe, put it on him, get a ring, put it on his finger, get sandals, put them on his feet, bring the fattened calf, kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. So they began to celebrate. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we want to see your love like this. Lord, would you open this text of scripture to us? Would you open our hearts and our minds to receive from you this knowledge that you, God, are a forgiving, loving father. We pray these words in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And with joy, all God's people at New Life Manitou shouted, Amen. You may be seated. The title of this sermon is God is a Forgiving Father. Point one, point two, point three. I don't want you to miss this. They're all God is a forgiving father. These 13 verses that I just read, I'm a little biased, uh, but they're the best. It's the best passage in the whole Bible. And I might be biased because I'm a son and I have a father. So I can understand this story between a father and a son as the son. And I'm also a father of some boys. I have sons. I have four boys. And so also from this story, I could sigh and understand like what it would be like for the father in this story. It's gotta be one of the best stories in the entire Bible for showing us just how loving and forgiving God the father is. And he's wild with his forgiveness and his love. It's overwhelming. It's never ending. It almost seems reckless, this love of God that he has for humanity, for his sons and for his daughters. There's parables in the Bible that begin to show this. And this one, I'm biased. This is just me as your pastor talking. If you're ever in a pulpit and you are preaching your favorite passage, you could say that that passage is the best passage, but I'm preaching right now. So I get to say, this is the best passage. And it's my opinion. And it, it, it's, it's gotta be up there with just, oh gosh, we see the love of the father for this reckless son who has run away and has lived his life in prodigal living. And the father's love is so generous. We see other parables in the Bible that Jesus tells. He tells the parable of the sower. Do you know this parable? The sower has a bag of seed and he's throwing it out and it lands on four different types of soil. It lands on hard ground. It lands on the path. It lands uh, in stony ground. It lands in the thorns. And the fourth one, it lands in good soil. And you almost wonder like, why couldn't he have gotten the seed where it needs to go? Like, what if you looked out, you like, it's early spring. You look out your window and there your neighbor is in the morning planting like his lawn. He's like reseeding his lawn and he's gone to Home Depot and he's got like a hundred dollar bat. It's like the seed is pretty expensive these days. You know that you like Colorado blend, the sun and the shade blend. He's got this little bag of seed that cost him like a hundred dollars and he's out there with like headphones on and he's just throwing it everywhere. Like he's throwing seed everywhere. And you're like, dude, that's that. What are you doing? It's going on the street. It's going on the sidewalk. You're getting it all over the bushes. What are you doing? That makes no sense. That's so wasteful. 
But maybe in the kingdom of God, God's bag of seed is, is endless. He, his love, his generosity, it goes out. It lands on New Life Manitou. It lands on South America. It lands on Russia. It lands on the good and the bad. It lands on Ukraine. It lands on uh, the different political parties in our world. It lands everywhere. The love of the God is, is like an endless bag. He tells another parable. Jesus tells another parable. Right before he tells this one of the lost son, he tells one of the lost sheep and he tells one of the lost coin the lost sheep this shepherd you know this parable has a hundred sheep what happens to one of them idiot runs away why would you leave the flock how could you not find can't you smell can't you hear the other flock can't you like why why would you run off you idiot sheep and you're gone and so the farmer the shepherd does something pretty crazy in the economy of like keeping all of your sheep safe like this is your well-being he leaves the 99 to do what to idiot. He goes off to find this idiot sheep who's run away, which you're like, that doesn't make any sense. He's going to lose them all. Wolves are going to come in. He's going to have no sheep. It doesn't make any sense unless you're that idiot sheep. Has anybody ever been there? Like I'm the, I've been there. Look at all the hands. We've run away. Thank God that he is the one who comes after us. The next parable Jesus tells right before this lost son is the lost coin. A woman loses a very precious coin. In the ancient world, these coins, well, that was like her life saving. She loses it. Like silly her, like she lost this coin. She sweeps the whole house. She tears it all apart. She finally finds it. You would think that she would like go put it in a bank now. Go put it somewhere safe. Instead, you know what she does with it? She spins it, she throws a party and she invites all her neighbors in to celebrate that she has found the lost coin. That doesn't make any sense in the economy of this world, but it makes a whole bunch of sense if the love of God, if the forgiveness of God, the celebration of God, when those who are lost find him, that makes a whole bunch of sense in the Lord's economy. Amen? So then after these parables, Jesus gets to this parable of the lost son. And it says this, Luke 15, verse 11, Jesus continued, there was a man and he had two sons. So how many characters are there? Stat them up, three. The father and how many sons? Two sons. And we will begin at the end of this sermon. We'll begin with the first one, the younger son. At the end of this sermon, we'll go back to the older son. This parable is called the parable of the lost son, but many times I've heard people say, you know what a much better title for this sermon would be, a much better title for this parable would be the parable of the lost sons. They're both lost, the younger and the older. And we'll get back to this older son at the end of this sermon. But the younger son, verse 12, younger son says to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property among them. Not, after, not long after that, younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. If you've ever heard a sermon on this uh, passage, I've given lots of sermons on this passage because it's my favorite and that's what I like to do. And I'm the pastor right now, so that's what we're doing. We're looking at the best passage ever. Um, hopefully, the pastor has brought in some context of the ancient world and has got us thinking in our imagination of what this scene must have been like for a son to come to his father and ask for his inheritance. That's a bizarre thing to ask for. It would be like 
like asking your father, hey, you know that money that I'm gonna get when you're dead? Can I have that now? It's like this younger son is going to his father and saying, dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my money now, which is a ridiculous question. And maybe even more ridiculous that the father ends up giving it to this little punk that wanted his inheritance early. I mean, think about like, uh, like nowadays, you know, if someone wants money from you and you want to give them money, what do you do? You just cash app them. Anybody got the cash apps? Nobody? Okay, okay, goodness. Well, so in this world, it's very easy to give somebody money. Back then, they didn't have the cash app. So that father would have had to sell. Think about this. He would have had to sell his land. Like, I don't know what it would look like back then, but today it looks like putting out like a for sale sign and all the neighbors are like, oh, they're, you're selling your, your part of your land? Why are you selling your land? Gossip and the stories. Like, why is he selling his land? He must have told people. Like, I'm selling the land because my younger son wishes I was dead and wants the inheritance. That's why I'm selling it. Would you like to buy it? Like, whoa, like what a crazy story. Like that the father is actually going through with this. How many of you are moms and dads of teenagers? Any moms and dads of teenagers? Look look at all the hands. God bless all of you. I have four little boys and the oldest one is 10. So in a couple years, I'll be there with you. And I do have a heart for young people. I worked at New Life North as the young adults pastor for a long time. I was a uh, youth director uh, for a church for a long time for, for high school students and New Life Manitou. We, this year, one of our goals, if you remember when we talked about our vision for 2020 was to launch a middle school ministry and that we're gonna do that. Praise the Lord, we're still raising money. We're gonna get some stuff for downstairs to make more rooms and we need some funding for that. So we're just still talking about uh, when and how we're gonna start this middle school ministry, but I'm pretty excited to do so. Anyways, there is this relationship between young adults and their parents that is often and very contentious and parents begin to maybe feel like the lack of control like the son here in the story is asking for his inheritance and the father ends up giving it and I have little boys my oldest I said is 10 and I imagine him like at an arcade like standing in front of one of those like crane machines you know what I'm talking about the claw the claw and it, it like picks up things and you look in there as a parent and you're like all that's in there are dollar store toys and it costs a dollar to play like this makes no sense right whatsoever the dumb claw machine it's just like it's like a gambling for kids like what is this how is this allowed and so like my 10 year old is like looking at this this is just a pretend story. 10-year-old looking at through the, 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 the glass at the, all the prizes and stuff and says, Dad, give me my birthday money. Because he he's got some really good grandparents uh, on both sets of sides. So he gets, he, sometimes for his birthday, he gets some sweet cash. And I usually hold on to it uh, so they just, just lose it in his bedroom. So he's like, Dad, give me my birthday money. And, you know, I've heard that you have some money for college. Dad, can you give me that money now? What would I say? It's like, go to your room. Get out of here. Are you crazy? Have you lost your mind? Like, what a shameful thing for, for this older son to ask his father for the inheritance. And what a horribly shameful thing to do for the father to actually give it to the son. And of course, the son goes out and he lives. He spends it all lavishly. The, the Latin word is prodigal, lavish. He spends it all. At the end of the story, we learned that the older brother says that this younger brother has been spending all of your hard-earned money on 
prostitutes, like the older brother Tattle. So that's what he goes and does. Verse 14 says he, after spending everything, we have no idea. Was that a, a matter of months? Was that a matter of weeks? We don't know. He spends it all. There was a severe famine in the whole country. And he began to be in need. So this younger son has had all this money. He spent it all. So he went out and he hires himself to a citizen of that country who set, sent him to the fields to feed pigs. Yuck. And he longed. I mean, let's just stop right here for just a second. In the Jewish worldview and culture, is a pig a clean animal or an unclean animal? It's like the worst. And so this story, I mean, Jesus is really pointing at something here, saying just how bad it's gotten for this younger son. He's amongst the pigs. He's longing to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. These pods, I've been to Israel and our tour guide was saying that this is probably the pods of a carob uh, tree, like the seed pods. And they're barely edible for humans, but you could like some animals can eat them. And imagine yourself longing to eat the food that is barely edible to these gross pigs. That is where he finds himself. I pray that we will never in our lifetimes or any lifetime know what a famine looks like, especially it says a severe famine. This was pretty commonplace in the ancient world. It's when there's no food whatsoever. You can't even buy food. Like the price of a loaf of bread goes to like a day's wage. So in Colorado, if you work eight hours at minimum wage, that's like a hundred bucks. Imagine if a loaf of bread was a hundred bucks and how quickly all of your savings would go to just feeding yourself or your family. You would run out of money. You would be longing for any kind of food. This is where this younger son finds himself. And then verse 17, he finally comes to his senses. And he says, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and I go back to my father and say to him, he's got this speech, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son but make me like one of your hired servants. Just make me like one of your slaves. So he got up and went to his father. And it's in this story. And, and I realize it's just a story. It's just a parable. But man, isn't it, isn't it powerful to lean into it and think of yourself as this person in this, in this story, to think of yourself as the younger son? There's a book, uh, it was written quite a few years ago, came out in 1997. It was a really big book in 1997 by a guy named Philip Yancey, a Christian writer, a pretty incredible Christian writer with a great career of books. He wrote a book called What's So Amazing About Grace. Have you, how many of you have read this book? It's uh, not enough hands are going up. You need to read this book. It's one of those Christian classics that, that I think just a lot of us in our society should read. It's an incredible book. The most incredible chapter of the book is when Philip Yancey retells the story of the prodigal son in modern day terms. So instead of a prodigal son, it's a prodigal daughter. And he goes on saying there was this girl named Jenny from uh, Traverse City, Michigan, and she just gets into fights with her parents. She thinks her parents are too strict. They're just trying to love her, but she ends up deciding, I want to run away. So she runs away in the 90s, makes her way to Detroit, Michigan, doesn't know a soul there, and tries tries to make her own living. She'd stolen some money. She got to Detroit with a little bit of money. And this older man begins to take her under his wing, gives her alcohol, gives her some pills. 
The days turn into weeks and she realizes, man, this is a fun. Like my parents have been keeping me from this fun lifestyle. My parents were so mean. I'm so glad I ran away. But the weeks turn into months. The months turn into about a year. She sees her own face on a milk carton. Remember when they used to put uh, faces on milk cartons of missing children? She sees her own face and wonders like, what's... What's going on? What have I become? Where am I? And she gets kicked out. The, the, the man that is, was kind of taking her under her wing had horrible intentions for her, began showing her things men like and began selling her for, to men for money. And newer girls came in and she was replaced and she was kicked out into the streets now as an addict, as someone addicted to drugs, as someone um, with no, just a, someone on the street acting as a prostitute to, to get by. Philip Yancey uh, writes these words about this uh, made up story based upon the prodigal son. He says, one night as Jenny lay awake, listening for footsteps, all of a sudden, everything about her life looked different. She no longer felt like a woman in this world. She felt like a little girl lost in a cold and frightening city. She began to whimper. Her pockets were empty and she was hungry. She needed a fix. She pulled her legs in tight underneath her. She shivered under newspapers that she had piled on top of her threadbare coat. Something jolted in her memory. A single image filled her mind. It was an image of springtime in Traverse City, back home. When a million cherry trees bloomed at once, it was an image in which she was with her golden retriever, dashing through the rows and rows of blossoming cherry trees, chasing a tennis ball. God, she prayed, why did I leave? The pain stabbed her in her heart. She thought, my dog back home eats better than I do now. She was sobbing and knew in a flash that more than anything else in the world, she wanted to go home. So she comes up with this plan. I'm gonna take a bus. I'm gonna get some money together. I'm gonna take a bus back to Traverse City. And this was in the days before cell phones. So she gets to a pay phone and makes a call. She gets an answering machine. And through tears, she said, mom, dad, it's me. Um, I'm sorry, I, I will be in Traverse City, Michigan in a day at midnight in the bus station. And if you're there, then it would sure be good to see you. But if you're not there, I, I understand. And I'll just, I'll stay on the bus and I'll keep going into Canada. And so she gets on this bus, she goes to Traverse City, she gets there, the bus comes to a stop. And she looks around and there's no one at the station. The bus driver says, 15 minutes. And so she goes into the lounge. And you know what she finds in the lounge? She finds her mom, her dad, the dog, 40 of her relatives, friends, cousins, aunts, uncles, grandparents. They're holding signs that say, welcome home, Jenny. They got balloons and flowers and little party blowers. And it's a huge party. Her father runs up to her, embraces her. And she begins her story like, dad, I'm so sorry. And the dad just says, don't worry about it. We got bigger, bigger things to do. There's a party back home, more people to see. Let's go. That's this image of the prodigal. When God wants us to know just how he is, Jesus tells the story of God as a forgiving father. That's this, the point here. God is a forgiving father. He wants us to know that this is what God is like. 
while the son, so I'm going back now to the prodigal son story, while the son was still long off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son and threw his arms around him and hugged him. The Greek here is like a continuous, hugged him and hugged him and kissed him. The son didn't know that the father would accept him. The son begins his speech, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Reminds me of the song we just sang. Is that this like we're no longer slaves? We are called sons and daughters. We're children of God. Verse twenty-two. But the father said to his servants, "You know, don't. I'm not even going to listen to your speech. Quick, bring the robe. Get a ring. Get sandals. Put them on the son's feet. For my son was dead, and now he's alive. Get the fatted calf. Kill it. Let's celebrate. Let's have a big party." roast beef everywhere. Let's have a huge party. My son has returned. And some of you in here, maybe you just need to know that that's what God is like. God will welcome you. Our God is a forgiving father. That's the point. That's the point number three, which is the same as two and one. God is a forgiving father. Some of you just need to know that. Maybe you found yourself in a situation of whatever, wondering, does God still love me? Yes, he does. And he forgives you and he loves you so very much. We're gonna, at the end of the service, we always pray for people. I'll be down here. Some other people will be down here to pray for you. And we'd love to, if you wanna come forward and say, I wanna run into the arms of God, we will know exactly what that means. And we will pray for you. There's a little bit more of this story. I'm gonna conclude the sermon with the, the other character. We've talked about the father. We've talked about the younger son. Let's quickly talk about this one other person in the story who is the older son in the story. Now, the older son in the story, it says in verse 25, was out in the field. What's he doing out in the field? He's working his tail off is what he's doing. He's been listening. He's been working hard for his father day after day, following all the father's orders. It says, when he came near the house, he hears music and dancing. So verse 26, he asked one of the servants, what's going on? And the servant says, your brother has come back home. Your dad has killed the fattened calf. There's roast beef and prime rib everywhere. It's a huge party. And what does the older brother do? He gets really, really, really angry. He's not happy. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So what's the father do? He just invited the younger son into this party. What's the father doing now? Same thing. He's going to the older son and inviting the older son into this feast, into this dinner, into the mystery of being with God and having this feast. And what does the younger, what does the older son do? Well, he says, look, father, verse 28, I've, after all these years, I've been slaving for you. What does he think himself as? A slave. He, the, older, the older son is lost in a way too because he thinks the father is a slave master. He's been slaving. The, the older son, I've been slaving for you. Never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a little party. Never gave me a young goat. And with this, but when, he's speaking now, the older son is like pointing at the younger son. But when this son of yours, when this younger son who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. The older son in this story is being begged by the father to do what? 
to come into the feast. And I wonder if some of us find ourselves in this place. You know what the father says to this older son? The father says, look, you've been with me all of these years. You've, you've, you've always been with me. Everything I have is yours, is what the father says to this older son. And the story pretty much abruptly ends. We don't know whether the older son goes in. We don't know if there was a heart change in the older son, but he was lost too. He thought his father was a slave master this whole time. No, 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 no. The father, God himself, is a forgiving, loving father. As we conclude this sermon, I wonder if some of us find us in the shoes of the older son, being begged, being pleaded with by the father to come in to his place. And for whatever reason, and in this story, it's the reason that he's maybe jealous of the younger son or thinks the, the younger son has dishonored. We don't know. There's, there's a lot going on here between these two sons and this father. But for whatever reason, he's angry and doesn't want to come into the father's house. He does not want to come in to this feast that's been prepared for him. And some of us might find ourselves with the Lord knocking at the door of our hearts and We find ourselves in this story. Will we open the door? Will we go in? Will we have communion with the Father? Would you stand with me? We're gonna pray together. The band, you you guys can come up. Brett, uh, Pastor Brett is about to lead us to the table and I wanna lead us in prayer as we consider this story. Lord, we consider these words, that the words that you shared with us as you wanted us to understand what the love of the father is like. You wanted us to understand that your love, God, is like a loving, forgiving father. And you stand at the door and knock. In this story, you're you're pleading, you're begging us to come in to your fellowship. And Lord, would you, I pray right now over everyone in this room, may you keep pleading with us and begging us to come in. Lord, may our hearts turn to you. May we lay aside selfishness or pride. May we lay aside the sin that we've um, uh, just, just gotten ourselves into. And may we go running into the mystery of your feast. Your feast is one of your body and blood broken and shed for us. You invite us into the mystery to have communion with you. And so, Lord, with these words of prayer to you, Lord, we say we will come. We will turn to you. We will turn from our selfish ways. And, Lord, we will turn to you because you are a loving, forgiving Father. And we praise your name.